0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You know, it was probably expected for Shane McClanahan to have sort of a rough outing as the starter for the American League in the All-Star Game in Los Angeles. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, you're rarely on a stage like that, right? I mean, he's, he's pitched in big games, playoff games, that sort of thing um but this is one inning and i thought john smoltz put it well as like you're kind of pouring everything into you know that one inning and there's certainly a lot of adrenaline and that if you're a hard thrower that usually means you're going to overthrow a little bit and lose some command and let's not let's not forget you're going up against the best hitters in, <laughs> in the national league uh so that doesn't help either and you know, so after Kershaw kind of danced out of trouble, you know, Otani uh, got a base hit and he picked him off first and he got out of his his inning. I think he walked a the guy. Um, then it was Shane's turn and he just never looked comfortable. You know, like he was kind of had this whimsical grin like, really? I'm going to go out here and do this. He gave up four hits, a couple of runs, including a home run to uh, Paul Goldschmidt and was the benefactor of a remarkable double play when he's behind the back mm-hmm. deal. So his all-star defense came through. Um, but by the same token, it was, uh, you, you know, it was unfortunate for him, but not unexpected, if that makes sense. I mean, you know, what a moment, what, what a, what an honor uh, to be out there. Um, you know, the festivities before the game, just the whole week, you know, has been remarkable. And and to put it in perspective, his, the, he gave up four hits. He hasn't given up more than four hits in an inning all year.
1: Gave up four right? hits once in an inning.
0: Once. Yeah, he did it once. Never Has never given up five hits in an inning. And, and of course, you know, that could have occurred, but uh, he got the last batter to strike out. So, you know, uh, I'm sure next time he's on the bump, and I would expect there would be a lot of next times uh, because of, of what he's accomplished and, you know, just the, the kind of pitcher he is. but well, I think uh, we also
1: forget, and look, he deserved to start the All-Star game. No question. He's been the best pitcher in the American League this year. Yep. But he's in his second full season in the baseball. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pitched 43 games, and
0: yeah, he's going nothing. out there
1: and starting an All-Star game against his one of his idols or one of the pitchers he looks up to, particularly as That's a left-hander, right. Clayton Kershaw, in Clayton Kershaw's home stadium. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there was nerves. I'm sure he was a little shaken. And, and, and in hindsight, maybe it would have been better if he didn't start. Although, I mean, it's a tremendous honor, and you, obviously you wouldn't turn it down. And I'm, yeah. I'm so glad he did get the start because he deserved it. Sure. But maybe he, for his first time at an All-Star game, maybe he would have preferred to come in a little later in hindsight. I mean, and, and, and I'm le- sure he's loving the experience and, and had oh, a blast there. Believable. Uh, I'm not happy he gave up the home run to Goldschmidt and and that, but you know, it's still a tremendous honor. And, uh, you know, it, he's going to grow from this too. And this is going to be part of his, his growth process as well.
0: Well, by comparison, you you mentioned Kershaw. And here's a guy that has won three Cy Youngs. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, one of the best left-handers in baseball history. Finally has his World Series ring. You know, has accomplished everything you can in the game. And when I say he was nervous, they interviewed him right before the game. And he was it was funny because... They had on one of his teammates before the game. Uh, I, I forget who it was, but they were saying, like, normally when he pitches, no one talks to him. It like, was he Mookie. Mookie Betts. It he was Mookie that. Betts. And he says, you know, no one, no one talks to Clayton, but he's in real form today. He's talking to everybody. Um, but even he, you know, because of what it meant, and this is a guy that's pitched in one World Series games, one Cy Young. When, you know, it has been around forever, uh, but pitching in his home ballpark and never having started the All-Star game either. So Shane McClanahan has as many All-Star starts as Clayton Kershaw put that in perspective for a couple of left-handers and when they talked to him before the he went out there I mean you could hear he was nervous he's like look I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw as hard as I can <laughs> 91 that was that was about it and uh you know he he gives up a base hit on, on one of the first pitch I think and and you know he winds up picking off Otani or whatever and gets out of it but um for a guy that has been in every arena and of course, you know, McClanahan made his major league debut in the playoffs, which no one has ever done before. Um, so if he was nervous, you know, with all the Dodger fans behind him, with, with his own ballpark and his own routine, and you know, you can just imagine sort of the butterflies that were, were coursing through McClanahan's veins, and he just couldn't command the fastball, especially, and um, left one over the plate too much for Paul Goldschmidt, who who destroyed it, but... You know, so no harm, no foul. Like you said, he'll grow from it. Those are the kind of uh, pressure moments in a different way. But the kind of pressure moments that you feel in the postseason, that you feel in World Series games, uh, when you got to go out there and, and make the first pitch in a hostile ballpark like Dodger Stadium, and, you know, he'll, he'll be better for it. But it wasn't like, you know, he gave up five runs. I mean, he gave up a couple runs, which he has done, you know, in the past and then shut you down for the next six innings. Because uh, he's on that streak of two runs or less, so um, yeah, not a not a bad performance. Unfortunate for him, you know. You hope, and uh, as we're doing this podcast, we don't know the outcome of the game. You hope he doesn't get tagged with a loss or whatever, but that that won't matter. All he'll remember is the the, the time he had and the conversations he had with Clayton Kershaw, with other guys that mm-hmm. were out there as all stars, and what what you bring back sometimes are little secrets that keep you going back to that game uh, and, and keep your longevity in the game. So,
1: And John uh, Romano pointed out on Twitter that Justin Verlander gave up five runs in the first inning of the 2012 All-Star Game. There you go. Clemens gave up six runs in 2004, only three of those earned. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not great pitchers can have uh, an off performance in an All-Star Game as well.
0: Oh, he's in great company. And the, the only headline that Rays fans should worry about he had no trouble getting through the first inning, no arm trouble. There was no trainer coming to the mound. It looks like everything's okay. Uh, threw about 20 pitches. You know, I think he'll survive that. Um, so that, that's really the most important thing is that, you know, he's going to leave Los Angeles as healthy as he showed up there. So uh, they're certainly going to need him to do what he did in the first half and maybe more if they get into the postseason. Um, but it was, you know, the festivities were cool. Um, I didn't realize how long it had been. Since the All Star Game was in that stadium, which is a, it's the I think it's the third oldest stadium in the big leagues. Yeah, and behind it's Wrigley held,
1: and Fenway, and then Dodger yeah, Stadium. Yeah, it's
0: it's held up. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, at least aesthetically. Like, I don't know. You know, haven't been inside the bowels of the stadium. I don't know what the outside. They just slap paint up there. But they just put a t- the in- they
1: just put a ton of money in it a couple of years ago. Did they? Um, yeah, they've really redone a lot of that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's a fabled ballpark. I mean, it's really a neat, neat venue, not, not too far from outside downtown Los Angeles. I've never been there. I've been to the Angels ballpark. I've been to Los Angeles a lot. I've been to the Rose Bowl. Um, I've been to the LA Coliseum, you know, been to a lot of places, but never Dodger Stadium, which is kind of one of those bucket list things if you're a baseball fan. You know the one thing it is outside though, and this game was played outside is hot it 's hot everywhere uh, it 's hot in europe it 's getting really hot in the Midwest and the northeast and yes, even down here fortunately we 've had some some thunderstorms, but that means your is running all the time, and that means your pow- that means your power bill is going sky high we 're going to help you with that. Just call our friends at may electric solar it 's a family owned operated uh, business they 've been installing solar electric systems for twelve years. Now, you know, that this field is full of many fly-by-night companies, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. Here's why. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and source services warranty. You're just not going to get that. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances, and that's important because I had the game go off twice in my neighborhood because of lightning strikes, and believe me, that they that, that can get inside um, you know, your appliances as well. So uh, if you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all of their products. They conduct on-site testing so you can see exactly what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. So you know exactly who is going to do the job for you, and that's important. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. That's 727-819-2862, and you can schedule a free estimate. You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve your quality of life and Preserve the quality of all your appliances as well.
1: Well, Rick, we go from the third oldest ballpark in baseball to the eighth oldest ballpark in baseball. That would be Tropicana Field, believe it or not.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Now it wow. Was, it was
1: built in 1990. Of course, they didn't, the oh, Devil okay. Rays didn't come till 98. That's But as true. far as when it was built, and it was finished in 1990. So the only parks older are Wrigley, Fenway, Dodger Stadium. Then you have Angel Stadium and the Oakland Coliseum. Kauffman Stadium in in Kansas City, Rogers Center in Toronto, and then it's Tropicana Field.
0: That's absolutely unbelievable. And I remember, of course, they were trying to lure a baseball team here and and flirted with every organization that basically the Tampa Bay area built stadiums in Chicago and in Seattle and in San Francisco and Minnesota and different places like that um, because trop, the trop sat there as a uh, you know as an opportunity for those clubs to leverage their cities for new ballparks, and they did so. 1990. To put that in perspective, it's as old as my career covering the box. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like 12 coaches, man. <laughs> it's it's a lot of football during that time. A lot of bad football. A lot of bad football. tell you what man? They used to practice over there on occasion. Um, even Gruden went over there before they had an indoor facility. Mm-hmm. They would uh, load up the bases. load up the buses. They got tired, you know, every time it would and you know, the, the lightning detectors go off if it's within 10 miles, which is pretty much any time after three o'clock, right? Till, till nine. Yep. Uh, and so they'd be like, yep, we're going to the trap and they'd load up the buses, drive across the bridge and we re- bridge, we run over there. And, uh, you know, some of the guy, I remember one time a guy turned an ankle, and wasn't happy about it. A couple of them were like, this turf's really hard, whatever. Um, but they didn't have, they didn't have the ability to practice anywhere. Uh, that had a roof on them, and so if the Rays were out of town, and and, and Rick Nafe at the time was the facilities guy, and they would, uh, yeah, they'd head on over there. But it's it, it it's amazing that that building is as old as that. You know, the mm-hmm. eighth oldest uh, in the major well, leagues, and and don't forget the Lightning uh,
1: played there, the Thunderdome before baseball was there.
0: They did. They played at the Thunderdome. I, I remember they set a uh, NHL attendance record for their playoff game against the Philadelphia Flyers. They had like forty thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was wild, man. You know, and they, they won a couple games in that series. So yeah, it's got it's got quite a colorful history and a couple of names as well. Um, but yeah. So it. it uh, and so speaking of stadiums, as you just did, and the eighth oldest stadium, eh, they need the newest stadium the rays do and so that brings us to major league baseball commissioner rob manfred who you know is uh you know generally gives sort of a i don't know state of baseball uh appearance out there at the all-star game talks about certain issues and it always comes up with the oakland a's and the tampa bay rays stadium situations which both teams are desperate to to resolve as we know um, the A's may leave Oakland. I think, um, I, I don't know if they have probably exhausted every opportunity over there, who knows. Um, and the Rays are where the Rays are, you know, baseball didn't like the two city plan with Montreal. They made that clear. They pretty much nipped it in the bud. And now, you know, they're, they're, they're going about the business of trying to, to see if they, if they can revitalize some options, whether it's in, Tampa or St. Pete, um, you know, obviously the city of St. Petersburg wants to develop that area around the Trop. There might be some opportunities to to build a new stadium there or um, more, you know, I, I guess more preferred by Manfred and probably most everybody, certainly the Rays, is that they find a location in Tampa or Hillsborough County because that's where your bigger population center is. Um, you know, they they flirted with you know Ybor City as a possible site. You hear about, you know, the fairgrounds. You hear about a lot of things, but so far, until somebody puts a shovel in the ground, it's really just all speculative. But Manfred had his opportunity to say, you know, we we would I would prefer we would prefer that they play in Tampa if possible, but they yeah, also recognize he said that, that th- may not he said possible.
1: that he he's always thought that a stadium would be better on the other side of the causeway, but he did preface that with look there's a lot of things that go into it including you know what's available land wise land financing financing, who wants it what they're willing to put up so he didn't rule out st petersburg or pinellas county but he did make it clear that his thought has always been that tampa side is the better side for it. and we've talked about this before you've got a, a population center that's bigger there draw a circle from anywhere in hillsborough county the amount of people that are 30 miles from the stadium, or 30 minutes, let's say, from the stadium, is about three times bigger than what it is in Pinellas County. You've got more land. You've got more businesses. The types of businesses that will buy suites, will buy season tickets, will buy group mm-hmm. tickets, that want to leave work, grab a bite to eat, and go to a game, and not have mm-hmm. to drive across the bridge, out of town, yep. et cetera. Yep. Um, you know, so there's it's the, the Hillsborough County side. It, it makes a lot of sense for baseball. Now, is there the spot to get it done and do it right? What does St. Petersburg or Pinellas County want to put up, and, and if they want to keep it, you know, the hope is is that the area, whatever decision comes from the Rays or the community, that you know, we're not hearing a lot of bickering at this point. We're not hearing a lot of problems. Which is a good thing, I think. I mean, generally, if if things were not going well, I think you'd hear a lot more complaining from folks. You know, now there's been talk. Does the Ebor site work, if, particularly if you're going to put a retractable roof on it or a dome, based on its height? There's, you know, there may be issues like that, but you're not hearing, mm. you're not hearing the Rays coming out going, "We're not getting anything we want." You're not hearing city leaders, for the most part, going, "You know, whoa the Rays want way too much." You know, you're not hearing that, so I'm hoping that's a good sign. That's yeah. generally it gets ugly when it's not going well. You know, it se- it seems like you're hoping at least. I mean, you've heard some stuff where you know some of Tampa and Hillsborough side have been, you know, well, we're not we're not really sure what the Rays want yet. There's some of that, but it's there's not. You don't have that animosity between the sides at this point. And as you no, know, I think- you've been through stadium deals before. Oh, yeah it gets ugly and it gets uglier and then it gets even uglier Mm -hmm. when things aren't going well. And then it gets still even more ugly after that.
0: Yeah. And typically you don't get the best deal until there's some deadline and the moving vans are backed up someplace to pull a team out of here. The difference is I think if you look at the demographics in Tampa being maybe the fastest growing area in the country Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you have tech companies moving into St. Petersburg and Tampa um, you know, you have uh, the residential, um, you know, apartments and, and, and all the condos and the construction at both sides of the bay is, is these cities have completely reshaped themselves. And so you have, uh, you know, uh, a population. It's not back in the day when you would roll the sidewalks up in Tampa at five o'clock and the streets were empty. Um, you know, they keep building and building down there and their residential properties and mixed use and everything else. And so these area this area is exploding. Baseball doesn't want to forfeit that. They don't want to forfeit that market. They don't want to pull out of an area that's the fastest growing in the nation. Um, And, you know, with that, with more people comes more companies and and hopefully corporate support. So, you know, I guess you're right. I think the settling thing, if you're a Rays fan, is that everybody wants it to work here, including Major League Baseball, maybe especially Major League Baseball, since they nixed Stuart Sternberg's plan to to, to play in Montreal and Tampa Bay. Um, So that's in their favor. But you know, until somebody figures out where it's going, who's paying for it, and the and and the like, um, it's really just all you know, just all talk and speculation. But that that lease is going to come up, and and I think the city of Saint Petersburg is going to want to do something with that Trop area because of the development opportunities down there. And so you know, it's going to come to a head at some point, um, probably sooner than later. But yeah, I I, I wasn't put off by anything Manfred said i thought you know i'm in agreement with that i think hillsborough would be a better place you could also pull from orlando and, and some of those areas you know uh, east of, of 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 tampa and, and certainly you know from my where i live which is you know 20 minutes from downtown on the veterans expressway um the growth in pasco county is ridiculous as is uh, you know the area off i two seventy five north of the Pasco county line, so
1: well that 's why the Rays have been talking about moving spring training to Pasco county
0: that 's correct that's correct, um, which makes a lot of sense as well so they 'll get there, I think, but you know not not until uh, it's uh, you know name on the on the dotted line time unfortunately um, that that 's not going to happen. So we go from the baseball All Star Game, which was last night, to today, which is the quietest day in sport. It's a it's a day when the the four you know major North American leagues, the NBA, the NHL, mm-hmm. the NFL, and Major League Baseball, none of them are have a schedule. None of them are playing, and that that's a rarity in in this country, as you know. Um, and it it got I, I it do got, like, like Joey,
1: I do like so MLS. There's a lot of MLS teams are playing friendlies against the European teams. Well, that's cool. For instance, Arsenal's playing at Orlando City tonight. And that's really cool. Chelsea's playing in Charlotte and Man City's got a game here. A lot of those Premier League teams and European teams come over here to play exhibition games in the in, in, in the before their season starts, around in late August or mid to late August, I think. And so they're, they're all over here training and playing, and they, they play friendlies, but they're playing a lot of MLS teams on Wednesday night when there's no sports going on. It's Ooh. actually pretty smart by MLS.
0: Very smart. It's a great opportunity to get eyeballs on their product. Um, I remember back, you know, back in the day uh, when the Rowdies were first born and they were playing at Tampa Stadium and there wasn't a, another pro sports team here the 4th of July. Was a huge night, and they would get a really good opponent like the New York Cosmos or something like that. And there would be tailgating like you've never seen before, and fireworks and you know, 45,000 when it held about 45,000 uh, before they filled in the end zones. And that was you know, that was that was pretty cool uh, back in the day. But you know, you look at today, and we'll get into the SBs in a moment, which is sort of ESPN's contrived uh, programming. But Joey went down the list, and and, and I agree with some of these, and I disagree with some of these. He had the top ten in reverse order uh, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. I think of one thing on that day, and that's the Daytona 500.
1: Well, no, it's not the Daytona 500 because that's in February.
0: Oh, that's in February?
1: Memorial Day weekend is the Indy 500. Oh, no, it's the
0: Indy 500. I'm sorry, Indy 500. 500, I was thinking, yeah. yeah. And you got the Coke 600. That's it. And you also have the
1: Monaco Grand Prix before those.
0: Yeah, so if you're a gearhead – you know, you, you love it. Cause you got the Coke 600. That's usually at night. Mm-hmm. The Indianapolis, now Indianapolis 500s, uh, you know, usually a one o'clock start or noon or something like that. Um, and then the Monaco Grand Prix. So that if you're, if you're a racing fan, if you ain't winning, you're losing. Um, that's a good day. That's a really good day. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine, he had the masters final round. That's at that Sunday at Augusta, which, you know, Jim Nance sets up the scene about, you know, when, the azaleas are blooming as he walks uh, past Amen Corner and across the Butler Cabin, you know, and Tiger Woods is, you know, and and it's you know it's one of the most you know prestigious cathedrals in all of sports, and and a and a major that uh, this country's biggest major, I think. Um, so it's a tradition like like no other, uh, from that standpoint. And, you know, over the years when you've had so many battles with Tiger and Phil. Um, it's a bucket list thing because people really look forward to that Sunday at Augusta. And it's usually right on the heels of the final four, like the final four ends. I remember when I was covering the final four a couple of times, one time I was in Seattle and all the writers, the columnists and the big wigs, not me, uh, they got on a plane and they were flying from Seattle straight to Augusta for master's week. And I thought, that's really cool. You know, it's kind of a neat double header there. Um, Number eight, and I, I think this should be a national holiday, the opening day of Major League Baseball season. I don't know why anyone goes to work or school. <laughs> Funny story, I when mean, uh,
1: living in Cincinnati and working there. Cincinnati's opening day is a holiday there. I mean, yeah. it's not official, but there's hundreds of thousands of people come down for the opening day parade, the game itself. It's always the toughest ticket in town to find. It's yeah. a big party. And if you've never been there for it, it's phenomenal. Go do it. Uh, it's a great time, and our morning host in Cincinnati was talking to one of our producers who was from New York, and he was saying, you know, Cincinnati, it's so great, you know, the opening day here in baseball and the birthplace of baseball, and, you know, the parade, and it's just great, you know, it doesn't get any better than this, and the producer goes, well, yeah, in New York, we usually do parades at the end of the season, Ooh. and the morning host didn't get it. He was like, really? Oh. <laughs> No that was back right, when New York uh, was actually winning titles but
0: yeah and it obviously it wasn't the 70s where the big red machine was winning all their World Series either no. uh, cuz they certainly had their run but uh yeah now baseball you know Cincinnati's always it was forever the, the first game uh played mm-hmm. in the major leagues and they've done different things now with games in you know yeah. abroad in Japan different things like that but So my um, sports
1: station there so opening day it's it's a holiday so we did our shows all that day leading up to the games usually at 4 o'clock or so. Yep. Sometimes it'll be 2, sometimes whatever. But usually it was 4. And so we'd start broadcasting at 6 a.m. that day. And we did it from a nightclub that wasn't normally open that day, but it's right on the river convenient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we go to set up on Sunday afternoon. It was a Monday. And the club was usually open Friday and Saturday nights. So we're setting up Sunday ahead of time so we don't have to set up real early. And the waitresses are just, you know, oh, this is awful. This is horrible. we got to be up at, you know, 5 o'clock and come in. You know, and you could just tell they didn't want to be there. And you're talking to them, and you're like, just wait. Just wait. It'll be fine. And by the time you get to 6 a.m. that day, there's a line of people out the door waiting to get in.
0: Jeez. 6 a.m.?
1: Yeah. They had sold $3,000 worth of $2 beers by Mm. 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And that didn't include all the other beers and liquor that they sold.
0: The waitresses yeah.
1: were rolling in money. They all went this home. Was, very this was this was better than anything they've ever any night they've ever done a Friday or Saturday night there. I mean, they no were, question. It was. I mean, they were like, "Holy cow!" We had no clue, and it's you know yeah. we're broadcasting there all day. It was it, opening day in Cincinnati is a sight to see. It is yeah. fantastic, it, and, and you like, wish opening day was that way everywhere.
0: Everywhere, yeah, it's a holiday, like you said, number seven. The Kentucky Derby, first weekend in May. It's the you know, most exciting two minutes in sports, bucket list, but I'm not a, a big horse guy or betting guy, but, okay, I, I get it. This it's, was, fu- it's fun
1: to be there. I've been to three of them.
0: Have you, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go. I mean, I, I've been you know in Louisville. I've been past um, mm-hmm. Churchill Downs. I've not watched a race there, but, yeah, that's, that's a bucket list no. thing. I would love to see it.
1: There's thousands of people that go there and never see a horse. Is that right? No, oh, they can party in the infield, and you'll never even know there was a horse on the track. You have no wow. clue. Because it's wow. huge, and it's, there's so many people there. I mean, yeah. those that want to see it are in the stands are one thing, but in the infield.
0: Yeah, I'd have to watch. I'd have to wager, and you've got to wear a funny hat and drink a mid <laughs> I guess, which, which no, I think are terrible. Those are awful. Those are awful. They're terrible. Yeah, they're, they're awful. This surprised me. Um, coming in at number six, a little low for my taste, Super Bowl Sunday. Another national holiday, folks. Come on. Super Bowl Sunday—you wait all year for the final NFL game. The hype, the morning shows, the you know uh, billion-dollar commercials. Uh, you know the halftime. I mean, this this should also be a national holiday in this country. And I think Super Bowl Sundays is, is should be ranked a little higher than six. I dis- disagree with Joey. He's a college football guy, and that's gonna why that. he. You're ha-
1: going to see that. In the
0: list. Yeah, that's why he has at number five ahead of Super Bowl Sunday, New Year's Day. What is it, 1984? That was, New Year's Day.
1: New Year's Day was my favorite day as a kid. Oh, sports-wise. I used to love it because you had so many bowl games. I mean, you start oh, yeah, with, you know, you're starting with the Hall of Fame game and the Citrus right. Bowl, yep, and the Gator Bowl, and then you've got the Rose Bowl and the, the Sugar, Sugar bowl, the Rose and the Orange and the, the Fiesta all, going
0: all the way out to the Rose. Yeah. yeah,
1: they're all going on all day long. There was nine or ten games that day.
0: And back in the day, those games would determine the national champion. Mm-hmm. Right? What even if one wasn't playing two, mm-hmm. you know, if if A beats B and and C beats D, then C is the champ. You know that kind of thing. So they all seem to have some relevance back in the day.
1: Yep, but now there's less games. I mean, there's several early ones, usually the Outback, the yeah, the Citrus Bowl and the Gator Bowl, and but then the Rose Bowl's by itself, the Sugar Bowl's by itself. And, the other and now they use are, that
0: day for the national – it's been used yeah. for the national semifinals a lot.
1: Yeah, so sometimes it's New Year's Eve, sometimes it's. it depends on the calendar. And, right, and, that and how it falls, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's – New Year's Day was my favorite as a kid. It's not – I mean, it's good now, it's fine, but I wouldn't – it wouldn't put it at five. It'd be a lot lower now.
0: Number four he has is my favorite sports day of the year. It's Thanksgiving Day. Now, I admit I'm biased because – um to me it combines two of my passions which is football and eating. Um not necessarily in that order. But I just like the fact that you know if you're in the NFL kind of sucks like the Bucks have had one game on Thanksgiving day so that's never been a problem but they practice and they practice early so the guys can get home and have their meal. So I'm done you know around noon. Um but you get up the Macy Day parade is on tradition, you know, used to run in the Turkey Trot in Clearwater get a little exercise in for the 6 billion calories you're about to ingest, and then, you know, begin to prepare or contribute or eat um, yourself silly uh, and try not to fall asleep on the couch with the tryptophan. But now it's not one, not two, but three NFL games. You know, you have the traditional one in Detroit, which is usually first, and then Dallas, and then they've added a third game at night, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, to me – it's gluttonous on so many levels, yeah. but it's it's the perfect holiday.
1: Well, don't forget the Egg Bowl is that night, too. Miss the Egg and Bowl State. Miss
0: and Mississippi State, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this there's always been cool. a
1: night game. Now there's an NFL one to go with, the college game.
0: Right, right. Now, now, again, going back to Joey's college bias, he has number three the first Thursday of March Madness. I know people, including many of my colleagues, maybe Joey was one of them, Ernest Hooper for sure, they would take the entire day off for the first you know real thursday not the play-in not the dating game but like the Mm -hmm. first thursday uh of of march madness and they would go to a sports bar someplace where there were multiple tvs with their brackets with all of that right and just be off and drink beer and eat wings and stay there from tip off at noon all the way until midnight Mm -hmm. or whenever the west coast games were on and they just ate it up and there was a time when i loved march madness And, and, and it's still intriguing to me but Let's be honest. College basketball isn't what it was because the best players are now in the NBA, you know, by the time their uh, freshman year is over. Uh, it's hard to know the players. You know, the coaches, it's a coaches league. Um, but still, you know, still a good day, especially, you know, if you're a college geek and your team or your school uh, is represented. Certainly, if you go to Duke or Kentucky or one of those, I, I can see where, you know, where mm-hmm. where that's in play. This is a little misleading. Like, he, he kind of shoehorned this in there because I said Thanksgiving Day.
1: Well, hold on. He kind of made it The, the Thursday sac- of March Madness. I don't yeah. know if this is still true. It used to be. The day of the year that the most vasectomies are given. What? Is the day before that Thursday of March Madness. Really? Because you have to sit at home on the you couch for 48 on, or 72 hours. Yeah, on a bag of peas or something. And you really yeah. can't do anything. So why not pick a day when there's sports all day on the television?
0: We we'll have to consider not, that. I don't, if know, I if, right I don't that know if direction. it
1: still is, but it used to be.
0: That's crazy, but not because why no, not do it not that the,
1: Wednesday and then you have to take Thursday, Friday off from work and you're not allowed to get up and do stuff. So sit on the couch. Not
0: and, the worst idea I've ever heard. Not the Watch worst 13 idea. or
1: 14 hours of basketball every day.
0: Absolutely makes sense. He carved up. Uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, he dropped in Saturday Thanksgiving weekend. So Thanksgiving is Thursday. That's my favorite holiday. He's got the weekend mm-hmm. of Thanksgiving because college football usually. Um, you know, have all kinds of of games.
1: It didn't used we, to be. Michigan, Ohio State, USC, UCLA used to be the weekend before Thanksgiving. That's correct. They, now they've all moved all those rivalry games are that weekend, including like UCF, Black USA. Friday,
0: you mm-hmm. might have some games, Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, Florida, Florida State has played then. I mean, you know, that, that weekend. Now it, it is truly the rivalry. I mean, it used to be, like I said, Michigan, Ohio State was always the weekend before Thanksgiving. Right. USC, UCLA was. But then – you know, Alabama-Auburn would be Thanksgiving weekend. And the Iron so, Bowl, yeah. Now they're all kind of on the same day.
0: Right. You Oregon-Oregon know, State and the war on I-4, all that. So I, I get that. Again, college football bias totally showing. And number one, college football bias totally showing. The first full Saturday of college football, not the preseason that uh, some of these teams insist on playing, mm-hmm. uh, but when you when you dial up college game day in the morning, and they're not talking about Austin P or somebody like that, but they're actually talking about, you know, Big Ten and SEC football. That's kind of cool because that tells me the fall is here. Yep. Um, I start every Saturday morning, you know, with college game day. And they're coming Do your Z day. I mean, you, you can't help but not get pumped up with that. Unfortunately, I have to watch Wisconsin. My team is rarely on. If they are, it's Wednesday nights because they're so bad. Uh, Arkansas State. But... Um, love college football, love the pageantry, love everything it stands for, uh, although now they're professionals, which they should be, getting paid, etc., but um, I still wish I wish
1: they'd play more of the games on Sunday that weekend, make it a full weekend.
0: They could cuz like the NFL is not in there's business. There's usually yet.
1: a game or two or three that day. Right. You know, there's usually a big one Sunday night and a big one Monday night. Yep. For ESPN, but they they could move some more games to Sunday and give more opportunities for more football that weekend. Yeah, I don't think college. I think, you know, there's really no body in college football. that's there's more television than anything. But I'd like to see right. some some more games move to Sunday that weekend to spread it out a little bit and give you a chance to watch more of the games.
0: Yeah, no, that'd be a good idea. I'd, I'd, I'd be game for that. But I do love the first full weekend of college football. That's always exciting. OK, we'll wrap it up on this. I thought it was done with Leonard Fournette or certainly he thought he was done with me. Um Unfortunately, it was time for the uh, TV shows, the talk shows, the NFL networks, Good Morning Football, Skip, and and uh, Shannon Sharp. You can't be, Skip, Skip, come on, Skip, that, that, this man. And so he, he just went off on Leonard Fournette. They were both on the same side, which means, you know, Skip's like, well, I'm really worried because I'm a, the biggest Tom Brady fan in the world, and this can't help Tom Brady, so therefore I'm very worried. Um Shannon, it was awful. He called him Leonard by baguette, which, you know, funny but not, not good. So, again, uh, we said this yesterday on the podcast. I got uh, uh, an instant message or whatever it is on Twitter from, from Leonard. We are cool. He has no problem with what I wrote six weeks ago uh, that got taken, you know, and, and pumped out there from something I said on the podcast as if I was reporting today that he's 260 pounds, which he's not. And I think he's going to come into shape uh, when he gets to camp um you know on the 27th we'll see it'll be a story obviously uh plenty to say then uh but man they just oof it was uh and that's what happens as we said the other day on the podcast when there is nothing going on and there is not in the NFL we're just all waiting for the shoe to drop on Sean Watson um you know you're going to get that that kind of, of thing and what I like about it is like deal or no big deal well if it's no big deal why are we talking about it why are we doing 10 <laughs> minutes on it like you guys understand you're doing a whole segment right so half can, of them we do, said, can we do a whole
1: hour on it? That would help us more than ten minutes. Come on.
0: I know. Well they they I mean they did drag it out. I mean L four guys got to speak about that long. So uh but at least Mike Garofalo was kind to me. He's like, Yeah, Rick Stroud, I mean in fairness, like, you know, he said this on a podcast and it kinda of went viral. I was like, yeah, and now you're making it on good morning football. Hot damn. Um but whatever. Uh it was true. They were disappointed and you know, he was pushing over o- upside of 250. We'll see, we'll see I'm quite convinced he's going to be in better shape when he when he arrives here uh on the 27th. But yeah, that was uh hopefully the last we'll see of the uh Leonard Fournette, uh story, but you know, until he until he shows up and he's a spelt 228 or 230 or whatever he is, we'll report that. So, yeah. And just a reminder uh as we uh wrap up uh here uh you know, if you're thinking about saving money right now, which is a good time to do so on your electric bill with this heat. My AC is running all three of them 24 seven call our friends at may electric solar. Uh, they've been in business here for 12 years. Uh, there's a lot of fly by night companies. These people guarantee their work for 30 years with a labor and service, service warranty. You also get $750 worth of surge protection. Uh, and you know, they use their own contractors. It's a good time to invest in solar energy and start saving your electric bill Uh, call the solar energy experts at May Electric at 727-819-2862 to schedule a free estimate. And um, they will lower your electric bill and protect your appliances as well. So May Electric Solar. My thanks, uh, as always, for Steve Versnick. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.